happy Tuesday and welcome on in to another episode of Great Quarter Gals, the show where we talk to amazing women doing amazing things in the freight and transportation industry. I'm Kaylee Nix here with my partner in crime, Grace Sharkey. Grace, how's it going on this fine Tuesday? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's busy. Freight. Uh, talk about a, a month of freight action. Who? I was just going to say, who saw it coming? But we did. So uh, cheers to freight waves, right? <laughs> but honestly, like, let's be honest. One of the big time players that we expected something to happen in a dramatic fashion didn't actually happen. And instead, some other big time players swooped in and took the drama away from them. So we're going to cover it all today. Bankruptcies abound. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, who's going out of business, who's deciding to maybe sell off some of their stuff before they go out of business. And here to join us to talk about it is going to be Mary O'Connell, one of our other awesome ladies of Freight Waves. And Grace, I'm pretty excited about this one. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a fun chat between the three of us for sure. There's uh a lot to go through and a lot of uh, puzzling action. So uh, excited to be back here with you. <laughs> so we're just going to dig right in. No news today because our topics of conversation are the news. So Mary, thank you for being here. You are, of course, our resident 3PL expert here at Freight Waves. You spend your time kind of in every single part of the industry and parsing out a little bit of expertise everywhere. So that's why we brought you in. We're going to start talking about yellow. Of course, that is the biggest news today. Everybody is now waiting on, I think, kind of the edge of their seat to see, okay, when do they officially decide to file for bankruptcy? Of course, the Teamsters told us on Sunday of last weekend, hey, they've decided to put us on notice. Yellow has now decided to lay off all 30,000 of their union employees and tell them to not come back to work. What are your initial thoughts on this? There hasn't been a true bankruptcy declared yet, but it's obvious that that's where we're headed. This moment for like seven years. Because um, they have, I feel like they're the company that has cried wolf so many times of, oh, we're going bankrupt, we're going bankrupt, we're going bankrupt, but I still don't entirely believe it. Um, so I know that they are still looking to potentially have a buyer for Yellow Logistics, which is formerly um, Henry Logistics, which is their 3PL arm. Um, I think that's the main reason why they have not um, filed for bankruptcy yet, because once they do file, then um, Yellow uh, Logistics will be brought down with that as well. So if they can find a buyer for it, then they can successfully spin that off, sell it, and then um, officially file for bankruptcy. If that is the plan they end up choose that they end up choosing to do, I don't really know that there's much else that they can do because they've delivered most of the freight in their network. They've laid off basically the entire staff. So I think it's just kind of a hold on and see if they can get a buyer this week um, or get something inked down. And, uh, you know, hope for the best. And I'm, I would not be surprised if by Friday they do officially file and uh, every the bankruptcy pro- proceedings begin. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting piece that that logistics uh, arm itself. Uh, do you think do you think it's attractive enough, I guess, for for anyone to pick that up? Or do you think it's going to get thrown into the, the pile of the uh, assets that uh, can Copyright could get its hands on, and uh, of course, uh, he swung off as well. I mean, depending on who you listen to, there have been claims that Yellow Logistics is the fastest growing 3PL in the U.S. <laughs> um, yeah. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen any financials that indicate that. Um, but I mean, like we've seen throughout the past few years, a lot of people have just been vying for capacity, um, or they've been buying to increase revenue and volumes. Uh, 
on their balance sheet. Like I know a bunch of mid-sized 3PLs have gotten snatched up in the last few years. Um, while M&A has cooled off significantly, um, it's still pretty popular. So they've claimed that they have some prospective buyers. Um, but again, it's a claim from a company going bankrupt. So I take it with a grain of salt. So we know that from the reporting that's been done here on this saga, as you mentioned, it feels like it's been several years in the making. There's been these several opportunities of Yellow Crying Wolf. We know that they had some issues regarding a COVID relief loan when it came to the government. The government's not going to come bail them out of this one. We know that they've see, we've seen them acquire several different groups all the way from Roadway back in 2003, USF in 2005. Of course, they have the issues with Penn and New Holland with the union negotiations. And it seems like there is nobody coming to Yellow's rescue at this point. One of the big sticking points, one of that hot point of contention that really kind of showed that things were heading in the negative direction for Yellow was the fact that they had so sued the Teamsters. The Teamsters had given them notice saying, you know what, we're planning on striking. Yellow had sued the Teamsters for $150 million saying, you know what, no, this breaches your contract. And then a judge said, you know what, the Teamsters are well within their grounds to strike. That was kind of the beginning of the very end. That judgment was handed down last week. Then we saw some issues with pension and retirement and benefits payments. And now eventually this step. Of course, as I mentioned, there's not a whole lot of people who are willing to step in and save Yellow here. But Mary, what do you think would be enough if there's something that would be enough that would help save them? Are we talking about now maybe divesting out those things that they had acquired, maybe liquidating some assets and selling things off in order to just keep the company alive? even if it's not operating? I think that I honestly don't know that there's much short of a blank check that says, here you go, here's a giant check. But they kind of had that in the form of their COVID PPP loan. Um, they got $700 million. And I, for one, would love to know where they magically made that go in a couple of weeks um, or a couple of months. But uh, I mean, again, I'm not running a company. I'm not running a giant LTL carrier. Um, to me, $700 million seems like enough to sustain a company for a while. But, you know, I'm not making those day to day decisions. But I would imagine that I don't even know that there's that much left to really sell off within the company because a lot of their equipment is older. So you can't even uh, sell off a lot of the trailers, the trucks and everything like that, because most of it is five years and plus older, which as we kind of know, that's when that's when things kind of start getting recycled through. It's taken some wear and tear. So they might have a couple, they might have some some newer parts of their fleet that they could they could handle um, selling off, but they're not going to get as good of a price as if they had a newer fleet or a whole bunch of newer equipment. The one thing though that would be really um, lucrative, and I'm, I bet there's quite a few sharks circling waiting for the uh, official bankruptcy filing is those warehouses and those cross stock facilities. Because as we know, warehousing has been extremely tight um, across the country. And again, all yellow has warehouses and facilities in a lot of major markets where there's not a lot of warehouse availability. So I would not be surprised if that's the one thing that they sell off and is the one that everybody clamors for. However, if they can get it sold off before it gets lumped in with any bankruptcy filing, I think that it would more than likely just get turned over, um, get caught up in those assets before uh, it's able to do anything. Yeah, it's interesting. I was driving around the other day and I saw a central trailer just kind of uh, hopping around, barely making it. So you never know. The assets, you know, to the right person could be worth something. Uh, you know, <laughs> you could say that. But uh, no, I completely agree with you, Mary. I think the biggest point right here is that is what can sell off in the 
in that uh, that property as well. Uh, you're right. There are people that uh, would gladly swoop up that uh, that those buildings in particular. I do kind of wonder. Uh, I think uh, Craig actually tweeted this a couple days ago. I think I, I do think that they're worth more than we expect. But I also I know I've I've seen a couple of even Mark Solomon's articles about warehousing space in particular and uh, how out out of date a lot of spaces are today for the technology that we're looking to uh, put in a lot of these warehouses in the future. So I go back and forth on that. But again, I think uh, it's definitely an asset to someone. And I, I definitely agree that its assets itself are, are worth more than the company living on today. Oh, absolutely. I think it's really going to be a matter of, you know, what are the condition of those warehouses? Because if they have a warehouse in the middle of, I don't know, Philadelphia, there's not exactly a lot of square footage that you can buy in Philly. So if it already has the good location, you know, how much would it cost for me to retrofit it? Maybe put some auto- autonomous vehicles or autonomous uh, warehouse things in there and um, see. So it's just kind of the the, the structure is already built. How much can I modify to myself um, and get it to be what I need it to be? Because honestly, the biggest thing is that it's just on land that it just doesn't exist anymore. Like you can't just go buy significant plots of land sometimes. So Mary, one of the very interesting things about this is kind of what's going to happen to the market. And I talked with Todd Maiden about this this morning on Freight Waves Now. The ripple effects that are going to stem out of this. We saw some of our big time LTL carriers report their earnings last week and give us kind of just these like anecdotal notes saying that, hey, you know what, we've seen volumes uptick in these last couple of weeks. Nobody directly attributed it to the yellow shutdown and the fact that customers were starting to pull their freight. But a lot of folks were saying, okay, you know what, we are established and we have the ability to source capacity. Um, Our best president and CEO, Judy McReynolds, was quoted saying that they are willing and able to support their customers the best way possible. Anecdotally talking about yellow, of course. And those carriers like Old Dominion, like Saya, like ArcBest are poised for really, really good operations in these space, thinking specifically of Old Dominion. But the very interesting point there is that this freight moving out of Yellow's network and into these other carriers' networks are going to end up driving up prices because ODFL isn't going to compromise on the prices that they have set for their other shippers just because they're absorbing this Yellow freight and just because those Yellow customers were used to paying lower rates than what they would get for a higher level of service at ODFL, right? So when we're talking about watching now LTL rates come out of this, what are some of those key indicators that we are going to be watching to be ripple effects of the freight that's moving out of Yellow and into these other carriers? Well, first of all, I have never been happier to not be um, working in LTL pricing than I have been right now, <laughs> having gone through two uh, pretty significant carrier uh, bankruptcies uh, in the middle of a pricing team trying to go live with one of the carriers the next day. Um, it's pretty much just a mad dash. We The good thing is, is that unlike with two previous LTL carriers that have gone under um, New England Motor Freight and Central Freight, um, we have a lot of notice with yellow so you can get them off the account you can get you know you can get that blanket pricing back in um, before you get some new customer specific pricing out there um the biggest thing now is that just tell your customers um because chances are your customers have decided that they would like yellow and they were insistent upon yellow because unfortunately in the last few years yellow did gain a reputation of not exactly having the best service so Something that they need to or something that, you know, you keep in mind when you have something like this is you might be paying more in claims and damages and accessorials and for service failures. Um, but 
your actual base rate technically is the low is lower. Whereas now it's really important to, especially if you are a pricing manager or if you're a 3PL, you need to educate your shippers on, yeah, you might be paying a little bit more on this base rate, but you're going to save on claims and service failures and everything like that if you pick a more reliable carrier. Now, that being said, there are still cheap carriers out there. There are still carriers that will haul your freight for dirt cheap rates and your stuff will probably get there eventually and hopefully in one piece. Those carriers are out there. They will never go away. There's always going to be one or two. But it's really important to, you know, remember that, you know, the, it's a it's an opportunity right now. Everyone in the in the industry knows that yellow's out and all that volume has to go somewhere. So everyone is naturally increasing their rates. Give it a couple months and things will come back down as all those contracts and um, customer specific pricing gets reworked. Um, but the number one thing is just, you know, be prepared because there's going to be some people taking advantage. And if you see someone that's head and shoulders above everyone else in the industry, like if you see someone that's consistently significantly higher or providing less adv- advantageous uh, discounts, then um, you just need to kind of call them out on it and say, look, all of your industry peers are doing this. Why are you trying to take this much of an opportunity? It's an uncomfortable conversation to have, but it's ultimately one that you need to have. And the good thing is with LTL pricing is that everyone, there's very much an industry standard. So if one person's up here and everyone else is down here, then ultimately this person's going to end up suffering with um, you know, not getting the freight volumes that they want unless they intentionally designed it that way. There are carriers that will give you ridiculously poor pricing if they don't want any of that freight. Um, I know that certain carriers like Old Dominion has a very specific freight profile they look for. ArcBest has a very specific one. So if you aren't, if you don't have that kind of freight mix, then chances are you might get some slightly different or some slightly out there rates. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, shippers that are going to be surprised by, I think, what comes back to them, especially based off that profile as well. You know, on top of of the mix up that we're going to see with shippers and their freight, we have a large number of employees, right, that are now out there and available for for pickup. And we're talking, I mean, not just uh, the actual drivers themselves, but clearly warehouse workers, mechanics. Uh, pricing agents and et cetera, uh, consumer or customer service. Uh, how could how, how should brokers kind of be navigating uh, the available employees and and how could they I mean, really take advantage of that workforce that's available out there now? So one of the important things is that um, something that I've learned or I've heard a lot of uh, issues with is people are struggling to hire qualified applicants and they can't find qualified applicants because. You know, it's just it's hard right now to find a qualified logistics candidate. So I think the biggest thing now is um, just capitalize on that. Anytime you see a yellow on the in their LinkedIn profile, reach out to them, see how it is, see how they're adjusting. Um, Because I think I was looking today, I saw on Twitter, so take it with a grain of salt. But it was from Rachel Premax. I'm pretty sure it's legit. But it was the schedule of. Um, everybody's severance pay. And it was, you had to be there for over 10 years to get more than two weeks severance pay. Um, So, you know, people are hungry. They're looking for a job. There's not a huge severance package involved in this. So if you have any openings, even in operations or, you know, data entry or accounting or billing or anything, you know, yellow, they, people have been around for a while and there is a strong talent pool there. So I would definitely um, reach out and get as get as many people from there as you can because 
Um, it's not the people's fault that this is happening. So I would definitely reach out. And those drivers are absolutely going to have so many calls. Got to say, two years of severance for a decade of service is disappointing, but not surprising. So Mary, let's go ahead and move on to another kind of post-mortem going on right now about a company that has in fact filed bankruptcy. Someone who, again, lives in your other realm of expertise at the the 3PL space. We're talking about surge transportation. This case is really, really interesting because they were a company that saw a huge rise and a huge success over the last kind of two and a half years, thanks primarily to that COVID pandemic boom. A lot of these companies, of course, especially in the brokerage space, saw that support. And then we know that some have struggled and honestly really floundered in the water since the freight downturn. But they were at one point seeing margin growth over 200% year over year, just absolutely ridiculous numbers. Now we're at a point where we're seeing them go out of business and again, file for bankruptcy, have to find a restructuring of their company. Talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on this one and the interesting case that it's a a really well-performing digital brokerage that ended up now going bankrupt. So the one thing that's different about Surge's bankruptcy from Yellows is that Surge is filing Chapter 11, which is just a restructuring one, which honestly, I do not envy anyone that has to deal with that um, because my first job out of or my first internship was a finance intern and my company was going through bankruptcy and it was miserable. Um, so <laughs> the um, the biggest thing there is that, you know, they are they do have a back or they do have some funding. And they do they do have bankruptcy court. So now everything that they are doing is being monitored and they have to submit things weekly to the judges and to a whole bunch of consultants and everything like that. So, you know, it's they're kind of being told how they're allowed to spend their money now, which um, is great because that gives them a chance to get their feet back under them and get get back on solid ground because you can file a chapter 11 and, you know, still bounce back and recover and, you know, get back to the place where you are making money and, you know, you don't have to have bankruptcy consultants sit in your office every day. So I think the really interesting thing here is that, you know, it happened. It's it's pretty much the same story everywhere. Everyone for the for the pandemic was posting up crazy numbers, insane numbers. And um, I mean, people were basically just printing their own money at a brokerage, which is great. We love that. And that's a great way to incentivize your brokers to continue booking loads and being successful. However, those extra profits I think sometimes people forget that with every upswing, there's a downswing. And so it's really advantageous to kind of squirrel some of those away for a rainy day because you know when you have those high of highs, your lows are going to be pretty hard. Um, And so nobody really wakes up in the morning and says, I want to file for bankruptcy today. But ultimately, I think they saw it as a tool that they could use to really kind of help save everyone and get everyone's job and make sure that, you know, everybody can still get paid. And uh, I think it was just kind of a really good tool. And it was very intelligent of them to reach out and kind of get that, you know, a note, like just kind of file and get that over with, because that way that gives them a fresh start to really kind of prioritize what gets paid, what doesn't. And it gives them a leg up to try and be successful again. Um, So I just, it sucks. I don't wish that on anybody because they have a long, long road ahead. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very interesting because I think it kind of exposes maybe the difficulties of this like dynamic pricing model in a really tough environment where your uh, core value, right, is to have this system that's connected and, po- and working every single day for your customer, but your customer might not always 
choose you and that dynamic pricing structure to actually move the freight. And I think when you see how they were cutting uh, in order to compete, right? Well, that works in an environment where you, like you said, are making 200% up in margin, but that definitely does not work in an environment where the market's completely flipped. So I do, as much as I know, I, I, I would know Omar and what he's trying to grow, I guess, uh, I do think it points an interesting case towards the dynamic pricing type of model that a lot of these brokerages have created. My question for, for you, Mary, is uh, something that Clarissa brought up, which was they're still working loads while waiting for the judges' uh, uh, thoughts on on how they're going to structure throughout this bankruptcy. And brought up with, from Oida concerns of, of if, is that I'm ethical and, and how is there transparency for the carriers to see, hey, this company isn't paying their bills at this time. What are your thoughts on that kind of dilemma that was showcased in this scenario? So it's kind of tricky because, again, they are doing a restructuring bankruptcy versus the yellow, which is just flat out sell everything. We're done. Liquidate everything. So they do still have to make money in the interim. And the same way that you would have a shipper that makes plastic boxes, if they are going out of business, you know, they're still going to continue to produce things. They can't just shut down and stop making plastic boxes because they are waiting for a judgment more often than not. You know they have they have a bankruptcy consultant. They they know those consultants are very good at what they do, and they know that you know you just have to continue making money. So it is unfortunate that it does that it's in trucking where you kind of have to um, where there's a the the payment terms are a little different than on the than like on a CPG side. Um, but it's I think it's completely fair because they still have to keep making money. They still have to be able to bring revenue in. So that way, when they are able to start paying their bills and they are able to start paying those that they owe, they have that money there and they can still show the bankruptcy courts that, you know, this is how we're making money. We're continuing to do this. Um, And so it's that good faith of, you know, we're continuing business as normal. And for those carriers that are doing business with them, you know, most of their filings and all of their claims to this is how much they owe me will just be handled through the courts now instead of calling Shirley in accounts payable and saying, hey, like you're a couple days late on paying me. Um, <laughs> most everything will end up going through the courts now and the judges will order who gets paid and what, what amount and when. That makes perfect sense. Grace, we've got just a couple minutes left. I'm going to actually throw this question to you as someone who writes consistently about companies seeking and securing funding. Our analyst, J.P. Hampson, brought up a really interesting point when he talked about this last week is that Surge is a company that was bootstrapped. It's founder funded. It was pulled up. We know Omar very, very well. He's been a friend of FreightWaves and he had a lot of success with this company. Do you think that this kind of shows the intricacies and maybe some of the differences of a founder funded bootstrapped company versus those who go out and seek capital and seek funding? And there's obviously not a better way to do things. It's just different, right? You know, it's very interesting because I remember having a conversation with him about the the aspect of cutting those margins in order to gain freight. Uh, we saw this work out very well for a company that actually got acquired by an LTL carrier in a way, uh, Molo, right? That's mm-hmm. a, a big way that grew fast and efficiently. And so when I read that in the bankruptcy documents, I was a little surprised because I think with a bootstrapped aspect, you have to really watch those type of maneuvers. And and, and he knew that. I think you just took a bet at the wrong time. And uh, unfortunately, it, 
it bit them where where it hurts. And I think that's the key is that when you are bootstrapping and it, I haven't even been a part of a bootstrap brokerage in the past, you have to be, you can't bend over backwards in order to make these, uh, the shippers work. You have to find the shippers who want to work with you and who want a more value than than just the, the, the best rate possible. And you tie that into the technology investments that they're making and likely the engineers behind that and the human capital behind that. I think you get yourself into a really, uh, really tough place to, to get yourself out of without finding extra help, extra lines of credit or investment, which it th- sounds like he was even looking for right before this happened. So it's very interesting. And I think that's when you bootstrap yourself, you have to watch every single day those uh, those uh, income statements because those will put yourself into um, this situation. It seems like the common thread here is the fact that sometimes all it takes is a perfect storm and the business crumbles. Ladies, thank you both for joining us, of course, for Great, great, great Quarter Gals. Mary, where can the people find you on a weekly basis? Uh, well, if they didn't catch Chet Call right before this, they can circle back on YouTube for it. Um, if not, you can catch the temperature-controlled freight one running on ice on Fridays. Uh, other than that, just go to FreightWaves.com slash Chet Call or FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice, and you'll find plenty of content written by yours truly. We can find Mary on the internet. Grace, we can find you on the radio. We've got Road Dog Radio with Grace Sharkey this evening from Vibe 7. Yes, we do. We're actually taking calls from companies who have open position for drivers, mechanics, warehouses, uh, workers as well. We had about five or six calls last night. So uh, hit us up tonight as well. 8888-ROAD-DOG or 888-876-2336. And let us know what you're hiring for. Love it. And Grace, you are an awesome resource for the community. Thank you guys for staying tuned with us on Great Quarter Gals. We'll catch you next week. Have a great Tuesday. We'll be right back.